Thank you for tuning in to Toilme Community Baptist Church to our podcast. So glad that you are here. This Sunday morning sermon is going to be back into Daniel. We're on chapter 9. Very, very interesting chapter. We're going to do today verses 1 through 19, and we're going to talk about Daniel's prayer. Prayer for his forgiveness of his own sins as well as the sins of his country. Um, It gives us a great example of how we should pray. And that's what we're looking at today, is using a biblical scripture as a reference point of how we should pray. That we uh, need to know and use the living word of God in our prayers. So I hope you enjoy the message. And then next week, we're going to finish up Daniel chapter 9, verses um, 20 through 27 which is a very difficult set of prophecies in Daniel's 70-week prophecy. Uh, We're going to be talking about that. I'll try to present that as well as I can for you uh, next week, so stay tuned. God bless you. I hope to see you guys soon. Um, This is Pastor George here at Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. Father, you are so amazing. You've been so good to us, so kind to us. Father, allow me to get out of the way. Allow me to present your word, Father, in a respectable manner. Fill my mouth, fill my heart. We just thank you for all that you have done. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, team. Are we recording, Edward? Okay. I failed to ask you. Uh, has anybody listened to the podcast this last week? Sound quality okay? Does that sound fine? Okay, because we're we switched things over, recording through the computer rather than me using my little cell phone, which is a lot easier on me. Um, just want to make sure that I didn't get a chance to to proof it this last week. So today we're in Daniel nine. We're going to start the chapter. We're not going to finish it today. It's only 27 verses. We should be able to. I mean, most time I've gotten through a lot more than 27 verses. But the very last part of this chapter is very, very challenging. And I need more time. So I'm going to give you today from verses 1 through 19. And then next week, we're going to talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel, which is talked about in those last last seven or eight verses of the chapter. Very challenging stuff, but it's really exciting. The main idea today is God's people are marked by a humble confession and a great confidence in the righteousness and faithfulness of God, no matter what things look like. Should I say that again? This is the main idea, is God's people are marked by a humble confession 
and a great confidence in the righteousness and faithfulness of God, no matter what you're going through. I'm not, things can get hard. I'm not saying that life isn't difficult. There are parts of it, even as a Christian, I don't like. I'm not afraid to say so. But it doesn't change my humble confession and my great confidence in God. Amen? No matter what it looks like. A true believer does not live for himself. That's one I almost need to say again, right? A true believer does not live for himself. And I see this in this church so astoundly. You guys amaze me of how much you love and care for one another. That's what makes a family. That's what makes this church unique. All you have to do is ask some of the newer people that are here. They'll tell you. It's because the way this church makes me feel. People care. People say they're going to pray. They really do pray. So often, we won't just say, we'll pray. We'll stop and pray right then. That's what this church is all about. Where there is an abundance of grace, a great strength of mind and service of God, there is to be a spirit of unselfishness. And I believe we have that. Daniel's prayer in this chapter should, by the blessing of God's Spirit, inspire us with the spirit of prayer and that his example in forgetting himself and remembering his people should help us to be unselfish and lead us to care for our people, even God's people, to whom we have the honor and privilege to belong. That statement, I almost feel like i got to say that again. To whom we have the honor and the privilege to belong. Do you realize what we have in this house is an honor and a privilege to care for one another the way we do? And wait until the hard time hits. We're not going to you know, run to the hills. We're going to take care of one another. That's what the church is all about. Daniel is somewhere now in this story in his mid-80s. He was a teenager, probably about 15 years old, when he was carried away into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar nearly 70 years prior. Why 70 years? The captivity lasted 70 years to correspond to the Sabbath rest of the land that were not observed. Well, where does that come from? I'm so glad that you asked because we're going to go there. I want you to see Exodus 23, verses 10 through 12. This is where the commandment comes. Part of the the commandments that Moses brought off the mountain to give to the people. He said, six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce. Gather in its produce. Verse 11. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat what they leave. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat in the manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. God is telling and leaving a commandment that they should let the land rest every seventh year. 
And if they were doing it appropriately, rotating their fields, then there would always be a field that is at rest. Every year, there'd be a different field that is at rest. And whatever that field produced on its own was free to the people who didn't have enough to go eat. What a great welfare system. I mean, you could go into the field. You didn't have to worry about anybody chasing you off. And you could pick the fruit. You could, you could eat the grass. You could do whatever it is that was out there that grew on its own in that field, in that year of rest, Sabbath rest, you could have. The poor people could have. And then the beasts of the field could come and eat. God had a plan. He had a plan. He said, so that the poor may eat. This was their welfare system of the day. Verse 12. Six days you shall do your work. Now he's referring to people themselves. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and that your son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. God is very, he, he isn't pulling any punches here. He's serious about the rest. You know, it's kind of ironic. The, the most listened to podcast that I've ever had is The Principle of Rest. I have did it about, I don't know how many years ago, a long time ago. And that still gets more listening to than, than any other. The Principle of Rest is, is such an important thing to pay attention to. The Principle of Rest. Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12 says, And this whole land shall be a desolation... And an astonishment to those nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Then it will come to pass, when the 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation and the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual dissolution. This is what Daniel was reading. When we, get in, when we actually start Daniel chapter 9, he's reading his Bible. These are the scriptures he read. Jeremiah 29.10 says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work toward you, my good word toward you, and cause you to return to this place, which he's referring to Jerusalem. 2 Chronicles 36.20 And those who escaped from the sword he carried away into Babylon. This was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's funny how we remember their, their, their Babylonian names, isn't it? I can't even remember their, their Hebrew names. I should. But anyway, those are the ones when they were carried away and they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. This was Daniel and his friends when they were carried away. These scriptures specified the land will enjoy her Sabbaths during the 70 year of the Babylon captivity. This was a planned deal that God had planned because they were not following his word. The word of the Lord in Leviticus 26 34 and 35, we're going to look at that also, is clear in this. And Daniel well understood Jeremiah's prophecy as he was reading in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9. Look at Leviticus 26, 34 and 35. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate, and you are in your enemy's land. 
then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbath. God is very serious about this. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbath when you dwelt in it. That is very interesting. God had commanded them to, to let the land rest every seventh year. So how many years do you think it was that they went without allowing the land to rest? 490 years. 490 years they completely ignored God's law. And you know, after about the 10th, maybe 12th, maybe 15th year, they're going, hey, God doesn't care, right? We, we didn't do it last year, nothing happened. We didn't do the year before that, nothing happened. You know, that's just, you know, God wasn't serious about the land rest. Oh, yes, he was. Does the world consider a Sabbath for the land today? Well, yeah. Now it's called science and technology that the land has to rest. Whether or not you will consider it, this is a scientific evidence we only have to look back at our recent history to find the answer. Did you ever hear about the Dust Bowl in the 1930s? That was because the land was continuously farmed without allowing it to rest, and the nutrients of the land were depleted to the point that it could no longer support vegetation, and that's what we got, the Great Dust Bowl. All things need to have their nutrients and renewed periodically. This is true of the land as well as mankind. Since the dust bowls, farmers have routinely allowed a portion of their land to go fallow, usually on a field rotational basis. Many even grow crops that have a residue that will be worked back into the ground, such as soybeans and corn. You can see the next picture. Oh, that is the next picture, huh? Yeah, it's, it's an amazing, a devastating thing that God put the United States through because they weren't practicing God's law. God in his infinite wisdom knew that anything material would go through the process of aging. It would deteriorate and the occasional renewing by the, by the input, input of new uh, nutrients would be necessary. The renewing of nutrients sows, shows, slows the process of deterioration. You can even see it on this building. Our church needs paint. That's one of the things we're going to probably do this next year. If you don't paint it, it's going to fall apart. Pretty soon the trim will be cracking. Pretty soon the trim will fall off. Things will start falling apart. You have to take care of it. You have to put nutrients back into it. It's that way with everything whether it's in man or plants or animals or even the land. And that is the reason of, for God declaring the Sabbath year. God is serious what he commands of us. Can we, re can we relate to anything today in the Bible that he commands of us? I can think of several things, but I just picked one. I want you to see Hebrews chapter 10. There you go. 23 through 27. He says, Hebrew 20, 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The he is capitalized. That's God. For God who promised is faithful. Verse 24. And let us consider one another and stir up love and good works. That's what we're to do. 
Look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day of the Lord approaching, do you see it? All you have to do is turn on the news. If you don't have a little bit of tinge of fear, there must be something wrong with you because we see nothing of rumors of wars and, and more wars and continued wars. Now we're looking like the United States getting into it with Iraq because we're, we're protecting the Red Sea. We're starting to bomb those raiders that are coming. That's, we're getting right into the war. It's happening. We have nothing to be afraid of. The very next verse is one that concerns me. Verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth. All right, what's the knowledge of the truth? Jesus Christ, right? As our Lord and Savior. After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. If that doesn't scare you, then there's something wrong with you because it scares me. How do we have to see that? For if we sin willfully, what does that say to you? That means you planned it out. That you put aside all your Christian belief. You didn't care what anybody might think or say. You had a thought in your mind and it went and you put it into process. You willfully sinned. There is no longer no longer covering for that. Verse 27, but be certain, fearful expectation of judgment. This is what you should be considering. Be certain, fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. It will devour all those things around you that are causing you to think and do the way you are. So the answer is yes, our decisions matter. The things we think about matter. The things we watch matter. The things we listen to matter. It's what forms your opinion. If you don't have a godly worldview, you have a problem. You're not paying attention in church. You're not reading your Bible. God loves us so much that he will allow judgment to fall upon us just to get our attention. Boy, we need to pay attention to that. Judgment will fall just to get our attention. God loves us that much. But why did Jeremiah prophesy a 70-year captivity? Because the knowledge of Leviticus 25, 2 through 7, the Sabbath rest ordinance for the land. Every seventh year, the land was to lie and fellow and rest. God warned Israel if they did not keep the ordinance that he would remove them from the land and enforce the Sabbath rest for the land. We've seen that in Leviticus 26. Jeremiah knew it would take 70 years because of this ordinance was ignored for 490 years of rest to accomplish God's judgment. And Daniel was reading God's word and understood now, kind of imagine, Daniel was taken away as a kid. He was probably somewhere between 12 and 15 years old. We don't know for sure. So he's carried away into a foreign land. And because he was handsome and strong and smart, they educated him so that he could work in the king's palace. And he winds up being 
the second in command of Babylon. Well respected. And now he's sitting there reading his Bible. Daniel read that the people were going to be held for 70 years. And he goes, wow, I was 15. I'm 80-something now. That's just about 70 years. Wow. Wow. He starts reading his Bible and seeing that God is going to perform something great in his very near future. And he doesn't know it. He doesn't, he doesn't know what exactly how God's going to do it. When the people were in the land of their enemies, if they confessed their sin, God would remember his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and restore them. We can read that in Leviticus 26. So Daniel, he decides to confess his sins. I, I can't even imagine Daniel having any sin. But you know what? No man is perfect other than Jesus Christ himself. He's the only perfect one. So Daniel was honest enough to say, you know, I've got sin too. But not only my sin, how about the sins of my country, my people, my family, everybody? So he began this incredible prayer that we're going to look at today. Daniel confessed his and his nation's sin and asked God for forgiveness and restoration. And God answered by moving Cyrus, the Persian king, to release the captives, returning to Jerusalem. And this happened a few years later in 538 B.C., we can read that in Ezra chapter 1. The captivity lasting 70 years was for each Sabbath year that both kingdoms of Israel failed to observe. The land rest was one way or another. <clears throat> the land would rest in one way or another. And since Israel failed to do its part, God gave it the rest it deserved and needed. And it would last the full 70 years. So Cyrus made a decree giving the Jewish exiles in his empire the right to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple in 538 B.C. Again, you can see that in Ezra. The greater part of Ezra's book, though it bears the name Ezra, tells of the pioneers who came back from exile to Jerusalem a whole lifetime before him. It's quite possible that the prophet Daniel was instrumental in stirring up with Cyrus. Imagine, Daniel knows all this because he's reading it in his Bible. He works in Cyrus's office. He, I could just see him going to Cyrus saying, you got to see what I just read. You got to see what, what the prophets have said from the past. He may have showed the kid, the king, the prophecies of Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29, which refer to the punishment of Babylon at, and the end of the exi Israel's exile. And if he showed Cyrus such prophecies, he almost certainly would have in included Isaiah 44, which mentions Cyrus by name over 150 years before he was ever born. Wow. Tell me that wouldn't get a king's attention. Listen, let me show you in the book. Your name is here. 150 years before you ever were born, you were there. Josephus, a great historical, historical writer, accounts for his, particularly to the Jews from this circumstances, that he was shown in the places in Isaiah, the prophet, 
where he was mentioned by name, and his exploits and consequences were foretold. So you guys ready now to look at Daniel's prayer? Okay, let's look at Daniel's prayer starting in verse 1. Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So there he gives us a timeline. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. He was reading his Bible. Understand, they didn't have Bibles back then. He was reading the scrolls. And because he was in such a high place, he could get a hold of the scrolls to be able to read them. He says, verse 3, Then I set my face to the Lord, God, to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Fasting, we all know, is withholding food from the body for the sake of prioritizing something else. Can I get an amen? Do you realize that's what fasting is? It's withholding food, but by by prioritizing something else. Sackcloth was a rough material, most likely made of some kind of animal skin that that would have been an irritant to the skin as a mark of repentance. You imagine, it'd be like wearing a gunny sack with no shirt underneath. Okay, just an itchy, you know, just to be uncomfortable. And he did it purposefully. To be uncomfortable, this is not a time to be comfortable. This is a time to be focused on God and focused on my prayers. Now, I'm not saying we all got to go get gunny sacks and put them on and pray in the closet. I wouldn't say you're being bad if you did, but it's a heart thing. When we're ready to go to the Lord in prayer, we need to prepare our heart and make sure that we're ready to make our prayers known. Ashes symbolized a complete ruin. In other words, the posture Daniel took was a visible lament. You could physically look at him and realize that he was lamenting in prayer. Verse 4, And I prayed to the Lord my God, And made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Daniel turned to the Lord with a heavy heart, a burden he could barely hold on to. Indeed, he could not bear it without God's help and strength. Daniel's prayer should remind us of a prayer offered in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you guys remember that prayer? Gethsemane, some 600 years later, in the Gethsemane, in the prayers and petitions of our Lord Jesus, turned his face to the Father in humble pleas for mercy. You can find that in Luke 22. The burden of his being, bearing the sins of the world, that his sweat actually became like droplets of blood falling to the ground. I don't think Daniel's prayer was anywhere near what Jesus was, you know, in comparison to. But I want you to understand that when we set a time aside that we're going to pray, let's be serious about it. 
Let's clear our minds, clear our thoughts. Let's set a time aside where we're going to humbly come before God and repent. Then Jesus said, he prayed to the Father, it was heard, not my will but yours be done. The strength was provided for enduring the cross that laid ahead. Daniel humbled himself to pray. Jesus humbled himself both to pray and to prepare for the passion, which was coming. Let's look at verse 5. Daniel says, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Even from departing and not obeying your word, not paying attention until you told us how to, the land should have its own Sabbath. And we ignored that, God. We ignored everything you've taught us, you told us. We, we ignored it. Maybe he wasn't directly involved with it, but his heart was for the people and praying for them. Neither have we healed, heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and to our fathers and to the people of the land. He says, even we didn't listen to the servants. We didn't listen to the prophets. The prayer Daniel is recorded in verses 4 through 19 is characterized by two major themes. Corporate confession of sin. An acknowledgement of God's character and mighty acts of salvation. John Piper, a known writer, notes that Daniel's prayer begins with the Bible and it's saturated with the Bible. <clears throat> Phrases after phrase comes right out of Scripture. Daniel has been reading the Scripture and he begins to pray God's own words right back to him. I think that's a very good practice. If we know what's in our Bibles, we can pray the things that are in our Bibles. Phrase after phrase comes right out of Scripture's. There are allusions to Leviticus chapter 26, to Deuteronomy 28, to Exodus 34, to Psalms 44, to Jeremiah 25. The prayer brims with a biblical view of reality. That's how Daniel would pray. Verse 7, O Lord, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, those near and those far off in other countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. Verse 8, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face <clears throat> to the kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness through we have rebelled against him. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants and prophets. In terms of content, one is overwhelmed by the, by the word used, we. And the pulling up of terms used to describe Israel and Judah's sin. 
concerning the use of we and Daniel's solidarity with the Hebrews and their sin. Brian Campbell, another <clears throat> Christian writer, Daniel confesses the reality of his sin and the people's sin because he has been called to carry their burden as his own, even though he did not cause the burden. This is the kind of man Daniel was. This is the kind of pastor I try to be. We find someone in the congregation that absolutely has fallen into sin. I'm going to go to God as if it were me. Because we're family. We're part of one another. That's how we should pray for one another with passion and concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ. He feels responsible for the people under his care. This is the leadership of Daniel. Verse 11. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. He's telling God that what God has done, these 70 years of captivity is righteous. He's not shaking his fist at God saying, I've lost my entire life over here in Babylon. I mean, wouldn't he have had the right to shake his fist at God and say, I had nothing to do with this, and here I am in Babylon. But he didn't do that. He went before God as if he had committed this sin himself. Verse 12, and he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us, against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. I want you just to think about it. All that Jerusalem, this little tiny country, all that they have been through, and they're still going through it even today. Still today. Therefore, verse 14 Am I on 14? 13, thank you. I thought that seemed like I jumped. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. That's what we need, God. We need to turn from our evil ways. And pay attention to your truth and your word. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, verse 15. And now, O Lord our God who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day. We have sinned and we have done wickedly. Daniel has taken the role of the prosecuting attorney and has built an irrefutable case against those who bear God's name. And amazingly, Daniel puts himself 
on the side of God's rebellious people by using the personal pronouns we, us, and our more than 25 times in this scripture. It's amazing. And this is how we should pray. You shouldn't be praying, oh, God, forgive him for doing that against his wife. God, forgive him. He's a sinful man. No, no. You should be praying, God, we are sinners. And maybe as, as the pastor, I haven't been clear enough to, to change his way of thinking, to understand what it is he's actually doing or what it is she's actually doing. You know, it doesn't have to be just the guys. Sin is sin. And we need to confess our sin. In a confidence, in a confession of sin that echoes Isaiah 6, in a confession of sin that acknowledges that they have broken their marriage covenant with God. That's Ezekiel 16. In a confession of sin that admits, that admits to not keeping the Lord's commands and ordinances. In a confession of sin that acknowledges that they have not listened to God's prophets, Daniel acknowledges that his nation's exile is just and right. Why would he do that? Because the Lord God, our God, is righteous in all that he has done. Even if he's had to punish the nation, God is righteous. And we have to know that. Verse 16. O Lord, according to your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach, a reproach to all those around us. This had to move the heart of God. Verse 17. Now therefore, our God, hear our prayer of your servants and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. He's talking about referring to Jerusalem, a temple that's been destroyed. Verse 18. Oh my God, decline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. And the city which is called by your name, for we do not present our supplications before you because our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Because of your great mercies, God. When we pray, that's how we should pray. It's not because we're any good. None of us here are any good. We do what we can. When we pray, we need to think of it corporately as, as our corporate prayer of our church and our country. Verse 19, oh, hear, oh, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Before the righteous judge, God, and the prosecuting attorney, which is Daniel, God's people have been tried and found guilty. There will be no appeal, no retrial. The evidence is too great. 
Actually, it's irrefutable. Is there any hope? Yes, there is. Praise God, there is. Is there any court or avenue of grace and forgiveness? Mercifully, the answer is yes, there is. And that's in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Sinclair Ferguson is so helpful when he says, Daniel sees the righteousness of God both as a basis for God's judgment of his people and also for the basis of his own prayer and forgiveness. How can this be? In Scripture, righteousness basically means integrity. Sometimes it's defined as conformity to the norm. In this case of God, in this case of God, the norm to which he conforms is his own being and character. He is true to himself. He is always acts in his character. So in a prayer that clearly, that is clearly God-centered and people-orientated, Daniel appeals to the great awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant <clears throat> to act out for the sake of his own people, his own name, to move according to his character, righteous and abundant compassion. And this is what we have to take out of this prayer of Daniel. We need to get more serious about our prayer. I don't know about you, but I know I do. I sometimes just don't get serious enough. Yeah, God, help him. Yeah, God, touch him. Yeah, God, you know, wait a minute. I need to go to the word and start pruning out the word and reminding God of what he has shown me through his word. These are the things that we need to pray. Next week, we're going to finish out this chapter, 20 through 27. And you're going to have to pay close attention to it. It's going to be one of those things where, you know, some people I'll completely lose. I might even lose myself in it. Literally. It's, it's, it's a tough message to go through. There's a great Bible export, exposure, exposure. His name is Alistair Begg. He playfully and wisely said about Daniel 9, uh, 24 through 27, in what, that, what follows, I reserve the right to change <clears throat> my mind later this morning and as often as necessary for the rest of my life until I finally settle the matter of what I'm about to unfold. It's an amazing bit of scripture, probably some of the most amazing in the Bible. It actually refers to the Messiah itself, referring to Jesus himself in this, in this part of the chapter. And what happens is God sends Gabriel, the archangel, he comes to Daniel, and he appears before Daniel, and this is what he says, I came to help you to understand. <laughs> Boy, do I ever need that visit. Help me understand this word. Help me to, and that's what we need to be praying this next week. God, help us to understand fully what these 70 weeks actually mean that you're referring to in this incredible prophecy at the end of Daniel 9. We're going to be looking into it very carefully next week. And I'll probably start studying on it today. Oh. <sighs>
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to get into your word. Father, your truth is in your word. Help us to memorize your word so that we can add it into our prayers when we're praying for one another. Father, help us to be more like Daniel. To be more concerned about those around us and not so worried about ourselves. Help us to not be selfish. Help us to be kind. Just like the song we sang about you, Jesus, this morning. Oh, to be like thee. Father, that's our prayer. That's our prayer is to be like thee. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Tony, could I have you come back? I, I like to never leave a service without giving you the opportunity to have someone pray for you. So before we leave, we got a few minutes before 12. Got some good football on this afternoon, but you got plenty of time to get there. Yeah. Yeah, next week's a real football. This is all minor stuff today. But if you need prayer, I would be happy to pray with you. Please feel free to come. Let's all stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. Father, I pray that you expand my mind to understand these next few verses for next week. I'm not afraid to say I need your help. I need your help in this. Father, bless your people. Challenge them to all read this last part of this chapter this week. And let them ask you, Father, what does it mean? What does it mean? What are, you, what are you telling the church today? Father, we ask your blessing upon them as they go about their day. In Jesus' name, amen. So you are excused, but I'll gladly stay right here while you come and get prayer if you need prayer.